All right, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 26. Genesis 26 is where we're going to be for our time together this morning. Uh, This is really the only chapter we have that is all about Isaac. I mean, for all that we've kind of been building up to Isaac, it's, it's quite fascinating. We've had many promises concerning Isaac. You know, we've had the miraculous birth of Isaac. Uh, we've had the near sacrifice of Isaac there in Genesis 22. But the focus really throughout all of that was, was on Abraham and, and his faith. And then Genesis 24 was about finding a bride for Isaac. But uh, he is more or less in the background while the servant is the one who's going and, and bringing Rebecca back. Even in Genesis 25, with the birth of Jacob and Esau, there isn't much about Isaac. And then when we get to Genesis 27, we find that uh, Isaac is an old man and about ready to die, after which point uh, the focus is going to be uh, almost entirely on Jacob. And, and so here in, in Genesis 26, we have one single chapter that is really about Isaac. It's a, a series of seemingly disconnected stories that summarize the whole of Isaac's life. And as we will see, Isaac's life is going to look a lot like the life of his father, Abraham. And so I invite you to to follow along with me as I read for us Genesis 26, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Excuse me. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. 
Excuse me. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. And when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. <coughs> Sorry. Oh. <coughs> Got a tickle and it's not going away. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. <coughs> uh, so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And Abimelech went to him. Thank you. Ah, uh, nothing like halls, huh? <coughs> when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzap, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me? and have sent me away from you. They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us. <coughs> be oh, okay, I'm off. Seem quiet. Between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have not done to you nothing but good. And I've sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. And they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way. And they departed from him in peace. <coughs> that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Shiba. Therefore, the name of the city was Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, <coughs> right, I'm losing my voice altogether. He took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite 
and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. All right, well, over the years, uh, something I've noticed about my children is that they are just like me. Or, you know, at least they, they want to be just like me. Some of them even, like, look like little Brendan's shrunken down. <coughs> uh, one example of this uh, was when I was a married student at Nippon Bible College. Um, my uh, third year practicum was preaching periodically at the uh, Nippon Holiness Church. Uh, but before I would preach a sermon to the church, I would preach it to Helena in our living room, and I'd preach it from, from my laptop and so that I could, you know, make, make adjustments if I needed to. And after I had preached one of these sermons, I sat down on the couch, and Helena and I started to, to make little adjustments and stuff. At which point, one-and-a-half-year-old Liam got up and stood, stood in the middle of the living room, and holding one of his toys, he began to preach to us. He was saying a lot of words that were very incoherent, but uh, he, was, he was preaching nonetheless. He had seen me do it, and so he thought that uh, he tried himself. I think it's one of the most disconcerting things about being a parent. You know, my, my children are interested in what I'm interested in. Um, they want to watch what I want to watch. They want to do what I, what I do, which means that I have to be careful about what I do because they will most likely take notice of what I do and want to do the very same Thing. Well, in our passage of scripture this morning, we see that Isaac is very much his father's son. We don't encounter anything new in this chapter. Everything that happens in Genesis 26 to Isaac has already, <coughs> has already happened in the previous chapters to Abraham. <coughs> Isaac receives the same promise. As Abraham, uh, he commits the same sin as Abraham. He becomes rich like Abraham. He has a conversation about some wells like Abraham. Uh, he worships like Abraham. And he makes a treaty with Abimelech, just like Abraham. And so we see that Isaac's life follows the basic pattern, the same basic pattern as Abraham's life. And so what we're going to do, if we're able is we're going to make our way through this chapter scene by scene. We're going to flip back and forth between Isaac's life and Abraham's life, showing how the life of Isaac is a parallel to the life of Abraham and what this means for us today. And so in the first scene, we see that Isaac receives the same promise as Abraham. He receives the same promise as Abraham. Look at me at uh, the beginning of verse 1. Sounds familiar, right? Now there was a famine in the land. <coughs> if you turn back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, you see the exact same wording. Now, there was a famine in the land. And just in case there, there was any doubt that Moses wanted us to read this as a parallel to, to Abraham's story, he adds, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So we know that there's a connection here. And we know what happened in the days of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? Abraham, he uprooted his family and he took them down to Egypt. And so what does Isaac do? Well, he uproots his family and he initially takes them as far as the Philistine city of Gerar, uh, which is what Abraham does in, in Genesis chapter 20. 
But we know that Isaac's plan is to take his family down to Egypt because the Lord appears to Isaac and says to him in verse 2, do not go down to Egypt, whatever you do. And so as, as soon as there was a, a famine in the land, Abraham left the land that God had promised to him and took his family down to Egypt. But here the Lord says to Isaac, don't, don't do that. Don't make the same mistake that your father Abraham made. You are going to stay in the land. And, and by all accounts, it would seem as though Isaac never left the land of promise. And then Isaac receives the same promise from the Lord in verses 3 to 4. <clears throat> Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give you all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So what threefold promise does Isaac receive here from the Lord in these verses? Land, offspring, and blessing. Right? And what was it? What threefold promise was it that uh, Abraham received from the Lord in Genesis chapter 12? Land, offspring, and blessing. If you look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, and then verse 7, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, that implies offspring, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Land, offspring, and blessing. These same promises are reiterated to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 17. And what this means is that the, the very same promise that came to Abraham is now coming to Isaac. Right? They're not different promises. They're the same covenant promises. And just as the Lord in Genesis 17 verse 8 promised to be God to Abraham and to his offspring, so also the Lord promises Isaac here, I will be with you. I will be with you. This is significant because what did mankind lose in the Garden of Eden? They lost direct access to the presence of God. And so by promising his very presence to Isaac, the Lord is promising to restore what mankind lost in the garden. But, but more than that, by promising his very presence to Isaac, the Lord is promising to bring about the, the, the fulfillment of these promises. God will do it. God will accomplish this. And seemingly despite Isaac's failures. But the, the presence of God is not just a, a future event. Uh, a time still to come. No, no, here the Lord says, I will be with you. But then, verse 23, uh, the Lord is going to say, I am with you, which is a present tense. And then in verse 28, Abimelech is going to attest that the Lord has been with you, right? So that's past tense. So we've got past, present, future, I am with you, the, the presence of God. And so how, how, encouraging, how encouraging is it to know that the Lord has been with us, that the Lord is with us, and that the Lord will be with us. 
Right? I, I believe that this is what lies behind the words of, from the, the throne of God in Revelation chapter 21. Right? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Right? God has always been and will always be with his people. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. So that's encouraging. It should be encouraging to us. The presence of God is with his people. But then the Lord says something very surprising in verse five. He says that the the reason he's going to do these things, that all these things are going to come about in Isaac's life, is because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. All right, so the, the Lord is saying that the reason why these blessings are going to be upon Isaac and, and upon his descendants is because of Abraham's obedience. That sounds kind of strange. But, but really, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of grace for, for Isaac's sake, you know, getting what you don't deserve. Isaac doesn't re- deserve the promise of blessing. The, the only reason he receives the promise of blessing is because of the obedience of another. Right, and what does that sound like? Well, that ultimately points us to the person of Jesus Christ, who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, so that by faith in Christ's obedience, we might receive all the blessings that come through his obedience. Right? Though, though we were not perfectly obedient in ourselves, we receive all the blessings that come through Christ's obedience by Faith. So it's a picture of grace. Now, ultimately, Abraham himself receives the promise of blessing from the Lord by grace, as his very life indicates. Right? Did did Abraham perfectly obey the Lord's charge and, and commandments and statutes and laws? No, of course not. Moses has been very careful to let us know that Abraham failed at, at crucial points in his life. Yet, yet the Lord says to Isaac, I'm going to bless you because your father Abraham obeyed. And so we see that that by faith, Abraham receives these promises. And this tells us something about the grace of God. The, the grace that, that flowed through Abraham's life is, is already flowing through Isaac's life. Just as Abraham responded to the grace of God shown to him with obedience, so Isaac's response to God's grace would be one of obedience. Right? We, legalism says, you know, I obey in order to be accepted by God. And, and the gospel says, I'm accepted by God by grace, through faith in Christ. And therefore, out of that abundance of, of grace and mercy, I obey. And that's exactly what we're seeing here, both in the life of Abraham and in the life of Isaac. Now, now bear in mind that all of this is, is set within the context of a famine. Right? So Isaac has to trust in God's 
word and, and not look to his circumstances, right? Because his circumstances are rather bleak. It's a famine right now. And so he has to, to continue to trust God's word in the face of all of his, all of his circumstances. And, and in the same way, we are called to look to God's unchanging promises and not look to our, our changing circumstances in which we are placed. Right? Likewise, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting and obeying God's word in the face of our circumstances. So that's, that's the first scene. We, we've encountered the same, the same famine and the same promise of blessing. And then the second scene, we, we see that Isaac commits the same sin as Abraham. In uh, Genesis chapter 12 and, and 20, Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, and said that she was his sister because he was afraid that she was, uh, she was too good looking, that he was going to, to be in trouble. And just like his father, Abraham, Isaac, in the same way, doesn't trust God's providential care. Look at Genesis 20, verse 1. Looking at the life of Abraham, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he journeyed in Gerar. Uh, that's where Abraham was at the beginning of Genesis chapter 20. And where are we in Genesis 20, 26 verse 6? Isaac settled in Gerar. So we're, we're in the same, same location. And there Abraham called his beautiful wife, Sarah, his sister, and so does Isaac. Look at verse 7. When the man of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the man of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. And so Abraham, he at least had convinced himself that of a, of a half-truth, right? That, that Sarah was related to him in, in some way. But Isaac, he doesn't have that half-truth to, to go off of, right? He, he just straight-up lies about Rebecca. But there is a, a distinct difference here. In the, in the first instance of the, the sister fib with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord sent plagues to, uh, on, on Pharaoh and on, on Egypt to rescue Sarah. And then the second instance with the, the sister fib with Abraham in Genesis chapter 20, the Lord appeared to Abimelech in a dream to rescue Sarah. Here in Genesis 26, Abimelech merely looks out of a window and sees that Isaac and Rebekah are, well, they're a little bit more than brother and sister. Now, you may be wondering how this guy, Abimelech, can uh, be tricked twice. The same trick, experiencing the same trick twice. But uh, commentators point out that uh, the Abimelech here might be a different Abimelech, that Abimelech might be a title in the same way that Pharaoh is a title. And so we might be dealing with a different Abimelech. I mean, either way, whether it's the same guy or not, Abimelech, he sees Isaac laughing with Rebecca. He's, <laughs> he's, he's aware that something is a little more uh, sinister going on. You may have a note in, in the bottom of your, your Bible that uh, says something like this. The Hebrew word here may suggest uh, an intimate relationship 
In, in other words, uh, this is more than just laughing. There's likely some you know, some flirting and, and caressing going on here. You know, something that you would expect to see between a husband and wife, not brother and sister. And in verse 10, Abimelech says to Isaac, what is this you have done? Which mirrors, of course, uh, Genesis 12, verse 18, where Pharaoh said to Abraham, what is this you have done to me? And Genesis 20, verse 9, uh, where Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you done to us? <clears throat> but then Abimelech says something very interesting. He says, one of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Now, isn't it interesting that Abimelech, who is a, a pagan king, uh, worries about guilt? Isn't it interesting that Abimelech, he, he has no Bible, he's, he has no, no weekly worship services where the scriptures are, are preached, yet he innately knows that marriage is a sacred relationship and ought not to be violated. But this is a testament to, testament to Romans chapter 2, verse 15, where the Apostle Paul writes that the, the work of the law is written on our hearts, while our consciences also bear witness. And this is exactly what we're seeing with Abimelech, a pagan king, right? He knows right from wrong because God has written morality on his heart. And this is true for us. God has written morality on our hearts. And notice the extraordinary protection Abimelech provides Isaac and Rebekah. In verse 11, he says, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. The Lord providentially uses this pagan king who knows nothing of God's glory or grace to protect the heir of the covenant. That's amazing. But I mean, what, what is also amazing is is the fact that Isaac commits the very same sin, is rebuked in the, in the very same way by a guy with the very same name, like father, like son. This is what is so encouraging and so terrifying about being a parent. You know, my, my example will often be what, what teaches my children, either for good or for, or for bad. You know, I can tell my kids, you know, do this or don't do that but what they will pay particular attention to is the way I live my life. But just as God sovereignly worked in and through a pagan king to bring about his good purposes, so also God sovereignly works in and through you and me to accomplish his good purposes for our children, for our grandchildren, for the next generation. And praise God for that. And so that's a, the second Scene. In the third scene, we see that God blesses Isaac, just like he blessed Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abraham goes uh, down to Egypt. He lies and he comes out rich. Uh, it says that uh, Pharaoh gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And in Genesis chapter 20, uh, Abraham does the same thing to Abimelech, and, he, and, and again, he becomes rich. 
It says that Abimelech gave him sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and a thousand pieces of silver. So that we see that the Lord is blessing Abraham despite his faults. Despite his faults. And what happens to Isaac? Look at Genesis 26, verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. Right? Now what's interesting about this is that the patriarchs almost always were keepers of the flock. They're, they're, they're almost always keepers of sheep. But just like Cain in Genesis 4, Isaac works the ground. But unlike Cain, the Lord shows favor toward Isaac. And the reason we know that the Lord is, is blessing Isaac, how he's showing favor to Isaac here, is because the last thing we heard is that the land is in the middle of a famine. Right? So sowing and reaping a hundredfold would be a remarkable harvest in a good year. But it would be unheard of in a drought year. And so we see here also that the Lord is blessing Isaac despite his faults, <laughs> which is good news for, for Isaac. Isaac became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. But there's, there's a kind of curse that comes with, with this blessing. In, in Genesis 13, after Abraham came out of Egypt with all of his possessions, it says that there was strife. Remember, between uh, the herdsmen of, of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock? What happens to Isaac in verse 14? It says that the Philistines envied him. And in verse 16, they say to him, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And in verse 20, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. And so we see that the very same thing is playing out. Isaac has great prosperity and wealth, but because of it, he cannot live at peace with his neighbors. They envy him. They want him to leave. And they, they quarrel with him. There's conflict there between him and his, his neighbors. So what does Isaac do? He departs from there and he digs up these, these wells of water that the people had filled. And just like they did with, with Abraham, they quarrel with Isaac over who has the right to this water. So he calls the first one Essek, which means strife. And he digs up another well, and again there's controversy, and so he calls that one Sitna, which means opposition. And then finally, he digs up another well, and they don't quarrel with him over that one, so he calls it Rehoboth, which means breadth or expanse. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What Isaac is doing here in, in naming these wells is he is asserting ownership and dominion. Just as God gave names to the, the day and the night, and heaven and earth and sea and and just as Adam gave names to all the animals, and just as Abraham named the, the place where the Lord spared Isaac from being sacrificed, that the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. So also Isaac names these places Essek and Sitna and Rehoboth, indicating ownership and dominion. And this brings us to the, the fourth scene where we see Isaac worship just like Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord appeared to Abraham in a vision and said to him, 
Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And the Lord went on to, to promise Abraham uh, offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven. And in Genesis 26, verse 24, the Lord appears to Isaac in a dream and says to him, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And so we see, again, that correlation. What does Isaac do? Verse 25 says that he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, which is exactly what Abraham did. After Abraham became rich in Egypt, Genesis 13, verses 3 to 4, says that he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So we see that, that worship. After the lie in, in Egypt, which led to, to great prosperity and wealth, Abraham responds with worship. And what does Isaac do? He responds in worship. If there's anything I want my children to follow, it's, it's my example of, of worship. I, I want to have a legacy like Seth. Right in Genesis chapter 4, whose descendants be, began to, to call upon the name of the Lord. But I also know that I'm, I'm weak to accomplish this myself. And that this is only possible through the power of Christ in me. Right? I, I need God to create this legacy of worship where me and my children and their children and their children by being known as a people who call upon the name of the Lord, right? If we want to pass on a legacy of worship, this legacy of worship, then we need to pray for the Lord to, to not only transform our hearts, because that's, that's necessary if, if God's going to, to begin that legacy in us, but we also need the Lord to, to transform the hearts of our children and their children, we need God to transform our hearts. Do, do we want to, to pass along that, that legacy of worship? We've seen the scenes of, of promise, sin, blessing, and worship. And finally, we see that Isaac makes a covenant with Abimelech just like Abraham. Uh, back in Genesis 21, Abimelech and, and his commander, Phicol, uh, came to Abraham seeking a treaty because Abraham had become so powerful. Abimelech said to Abraham in, in Genesis 21, verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. Well, here in, in Gen Genesis 26, verse 26, Abimelech comes to Isaac with his advisor, Ahuzah, and his commander, Phicol. And Isaac says to them, why have you come to me? seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you. And they say to him, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. What a testimony. So just as Abimelech in Genesis 21 makes a covenant with the patriarch Abraham, so also Abimelech in Genesis 26 makes a covenant with the patriarch Isaac. And just as Abraham was a blessing to the nations, so also Isaac would be a blessing to the nations just as the, the, the treaty between Abraham and Abimelech 
ends with the, the place being named Beersheba. So also the treaty with Isaac and Abimelech ends with the place being named Beersheba. And so we see this, this back and forth throughout the chapter, which shows that Isaac walked in the footsteps of his father, Abraham. He received the same promise. He committed the same sin and he became the same source of blessing to all people. Now, why does this matter? Couldn't we just skip Genesis 26 and gone on to Genesis 27? It matters because the last two verses of Genesis 26 say that Esau, like, like Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, takes two wives for himself. They are going to make life bitter for his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. And so we see that Esau, the son of Isaac, is going to move away from the presence and promise of the Lord. And so what we see here is that Genesis chapter 26 is contrasting a life of faith with a life of unbelief. You know, what God did for Abraham and for Isaac, he will do for Jacob and Esau, provided that they likewise walk in faith. Which we see one does and one does not. And the same is true for us. What God has done for all those before us who have walked in faith, he will do for you and for me, provided that we likewise walk in faith. Galatians 3 verse 9 says that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Like my son Liam, I had the opportunity of watching my dad preach his sermons growing up. And though I had no desire to go into pastoral ministry at the time, I can praise the Lord that there has never been a time in my life when I did not know God. Now, that's an amazing testimony of God's kindness. Because <laughs> I clearly don't deserve it. And neither do my parents. We're recipients of God's grace in that way in creating a, a legacy of faith. And those of us who have had the privilege of knowing a spiritual legacy like this have the privilege of, of passing on the faith of this legacy to the next generation, to our children, to our grandchildren. Now, I understand that this is not everyone's testimony. And in that regard, praise God that he works in, in all sorts of ways. If you are here this morning and you are the first Christian in your family, you can praise God that you have the privilege of passing on the faith that God in Christ has gifted you. That legacy can begin with you. Now, are we going to get this right all the time? Absolutely not. We are prone to make the same mistakes our parents made and the next generation will make the same mistakes we have made. But that's okay. That's okay. It gives them an opportunity to see God's faithfulness in our lives, in the good times and in the bad. Because you see, the Lord's promise doesn't depend on 
the righteousness of the patriarchs. And it doesn't depend on our righteousness. The, the Lord's promise is fulfilled and carried through because of his righteousness, because of his commitment to fulfill his word. I'm reminded of the hymn before the throne of God above. Uh, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's, that's really where our hope is, is it not? Jesus took the punishment for sin we deserved upon the cross, so he did nothing to deserve it himself. And, and he was raised from the dead in victory over our, our enemies, our true enemies of, of sin and death and, and the devil and hell. So that by faith in Jesus, we can have Christ's righteousness imputed to us, though we did nothing to earn it ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ that is available to each one of us today. That the promise of God has been passed down from, from Abraham and Isaac all the way to us today, a, a legacy of faith that we can be part of. And we can usher our families into this, this legacy of faith as well. And where, where God promises to be with us always. And he promises to usher us into a, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And where he promises to, 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 to grant us everlasting life. And where he promises this to us. No, knowing that we, we will make mistakes knowing that we will need forgiveness of sins on a daily basis. He, he promises this to us because the promised man, Jesus Christ, has come and because he's coming again to fully and finally make all things right. And that is, that is where our hope lies. So the question that we are left with is what legacy are we leaving behind? for the next generation. What legacy do we want to leave behind? Right? If you were here this morning and you, you have not trusted in God's promise of Jesus Christ, will you do so today? Will this be your legacy? And if you have trusted in, in God's promise of Jesus Christ, will you, by God's grace, continue to pass on these promises to the next generation? Right, that, that God might create a, a legacy of faith, even if it begins with you. It would be said of you that you are ushering into your, your family, you and your family, into this, this legacy of faith. The question is, what legacy are we leaving behind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. Forgive us, God. We are not the physical or spiritual parents we would like to be. Help us, by your grace, to pass on a faithful legacy to others. Even if that legacy of faithfulness starts with us and our generation. Give us grace to do so. And, and as we walk with you, may we, 
know that you are with us, that you, you never leave us nor forsake us, and that our hope is found in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.